Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father God, would you open the word to us and open our hearts to the word. Your word is alive. Every single bit of it is full of life. We need it to strengthen us. We need it to cut us. We need it to, because everything you do heals us. Everything you do sets us free. Everything you do cleanses us and gives us a future. I pray, oh God, for such a word today. And I pray that this word clean would, be, would resonate inside of us. We would know we are clean. And Lord Jesus, that you'd grace me to speak your word so we can hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter is under attack. He's having to defend himself. A sizable and vocal group within the early church were deeply convinced that faith in Jesus in no way changed their requirement to observe the law of Moses. They believed the statutes and ordinances in the Torah were meant to be eternal commands and therefore must be kept by anyone who wished to be saved. And they were furious with Peter for two reasons. First of all, he had ritually defiled himself by entering a Gentile home and eating improperly prepared food. But second, and even more importantly, they were dismayed that he had actually baptized these Gentiles because it meant he believed they were saved. By baptizing them, particularly as an apostle, he had welcomed them into the church and they were to be thought of as brothers and sisters. They were to be included in church gatherings. But in the minds of Peter's accusers, unless these Gentiles kept the ceremonial laws, they were still unclean. By welcoming Cornelius' household into the church, Peter had opened the door for unclean people to sit next to them in a worship service. That's the bottom line. And if they touched them, they too would be unclean. They have cooties. (laughs) This clean thing's an awful lot like cooties. It really is. So as soon as he arrived in Jerusalem, they cornered Peter and scolded him. And Peter's only defense was to point to the fact that it was God, not he, who had welcomed these unclean people into his church. By baptizing them in the Holy Spirit, he proved that his eye... In his eyes, they were perfectly clean. Would you say clean? Clean. Amen. Having declared the meaning of the vision. Now, let me back up and remind you where we are. Some of you don't know. We are in the middle of the story of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He lives in Caesarea, which is the seat of the the Roman government uh, there. Uh, it is where Pontius Pilate was, but right now it's where Herod Agrippa, the, he's, a, he's the king, but he's the official Roman representative in this whole area of, 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 of Israel. And he's there. This Roman uh, soldier, he's a centurion, had a vision. And he was told by an angel to ask Peter, who was, who was 32 miles to the south in the, in the town of Joppa, he was to go get him, find him, And he was to come and teach him how to be saved. So he does that. He sends his messengers all the way down to to Caesarea. And they ask around town. They find Peter. They they come to the gate. Well, he's up on the rooftop when they arrive, praying. 
and he's had a vision. Remember this vision? He sees this great white sheet, a great white linen sheet, lowered by its four corners down from heaven, and when it hits the ground, it opens up, and there are all of these animals, all of the unclean animals that a, that a Jew's not supposed to eat. So you know pigs are right there in the front row, but you, but you also know it goes on to describe it'll have reptiles, it, it, it has um, things that crawl on their belly, and things with many feet. Don't you love that phrase? Who wants to eat something with many feet, other than lobster? But... but and I suppose lobsters were there. Who knows? But uh, all of this stuff that he's not supposed to eat. And then the Lord speaks to uh, Peter. Remember that? And he says, butcher and eat. And Peter's response is, no way. Never has any of that touched my lips. And he says, not even one, Lord. And so then the Lord again says to him a second time, kill and eat. Peter says, no. Third time, kill and eat. No! And then the, the uh, whole thing lifts back up into heaven, and Peter goes, so what was that about? And we leave Peter at that point. That's the amount of revelation he had. Don't you, don't you know that uh, God is, is sitting there going, I, I love that guy. He is so cantankerous, but he's mine. You know, isn't he? Peter did not, didn't, never said once he would do what God asked. He defied him the whole time, but he meant well. So God loves him. He says, we'll, we'll get through to him. We'll get through to him. I just needed to start the process. So anyway, Peter goes with those guys to Caesarea. And when he gets there, he literally walks straight into this Roman villa. And he will be in the... And here's Cornelius comes to meet him. You remember Cornelius goes belly down, face down, flat out on the ground, you know, which is a sign of absolute uh, Near Eastern obedience. Like, you are the guy. And Peter says, get up. Grabs him lifts him up, takes him by the arm in, in, a, in a close, friendly way, and says, come on. And they walk into the living room or the atrium or wherever they are in this Roman house, and it's packed. All of, of, of Cornelius' relatives, his friends, he's an influential man, things packed with Romans. Peter looks at this, and he, and he has a revelation. Now he knows what the thing about the sheet and the animals, and he knows what God was saying to him. God had said... What I call clean, you don't call unclean. What I call clean, you do not uncall unclean. Do you understand? And he looks at him, he goes, now I get it. Now I get it. God is no respecter of persons, and in every nation around the world, any man who fears him and honor and serves him as best he can, God considers clean. I, I'm not to call anyone unclean. And then he starts preaching a sermon to them right off. I mean, this is what it is. He just begins to turn to them and say, I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. And that's where we pick up. Peter begins to preach. He said, to, he said, you know the proclamation which took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism which John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, he was the one who went from place to place doing good works and healing all those being oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things which he did both among the Jews who live in the countryside and in Jerusalem. Indeed, they killed him by hanging him on a wooden stake. That's what it says, not a tree, a wooden stake. This is the one God raised on the third day and gave him as a gift 
to become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were selected. The word it literally means handpicked. The word hand is in it. Handpicked by God beforehand. To us who ate and drank with him after his resurrection from among the dead. And he commanded us to proclaim to the people and to thoroughly testify that this is the one who has been designated by God as judge of the living and the dead. To this one, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone believing in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's the end of his preaching. That's his gospel. What did you just hear this last statement? Everyone who believes in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I've just given you a very brief summary of it, he says, that's what you need to do. Luke says, yet while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all the ones who were listening to the message. This statement would play a critical role in future discussions about what took place in Cornelius' home. The fact is, Peter did nothing more than present a few basic statements about Christ. And then while he was still talking, God acted unilaterally. Peter could not be held responsible for what happened. He did not lay hands on anyone or coach any sort of behavior. You see that? He had hardly gotten, in fact, later on he'll say, I've just started into my sermon. I didn't even get to my first point. That was my intro. So he's just barely warming up. He says the one statement, if you believe in his name, you'll be saved, and boom, God shows up and and, and stops the whole show. That's a very important point. All right, let's go on. In this verse, Luke uses a term which gives us an important insight into the six men from Joppa who accompanied Peter to Caesarea. If you recall, some of, the, some of the brothers from Joppa, when they saw these Romans taking Peter, they said, well, we'll go with you. And so he had six guys. Well, I thought they wanted to protect him. That was, when I read it, I thought, hey, there is posse. You know, you know we're, we're going with you, man. They're not touching our guy. And I thought, well, that's cool. When I see this, I think, oh, no, that wasn't entirely it. These are, these are very observant Jewish Christians. And they're really uncomfortable with the idea that Peter's going with these Romans. Shouldn't be doing that. Good Jewish guys don't go with Romans. And where are you going? So they're actually going partly to sort of monitor the situation. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Later on, so he, later he calls them the faithful of the circumcision. Later on, he uses a similar term, those from the circumcision. This is a phrase which had come into use by the time Luke wrote Acts. It may not have been very common back then, real early in the church's life, but it's a term that became common. And so when Luke is going back and writing about this, he uses a term because this group persisted. There's a group of observant Jews who become Christians but refuse to let go of their commitment to keep the Mosaic law, all of it, and that you have to. They they, they want to walk two paths. They want to be Jewish and they want to be Christian at the same time. And what what has happened in Cornelius' house is is going to ruin that. And they're really furious. Let's follow follow on. When Luke wrote... It came in a time when Luke wrote Acts. It referred to a particular group of Jewish Christians who believed that a Gentile had to become a Jew before becoming a Christian. He says that all those who had come with Peter 
were so shocked that they were beside themselves. That's the word. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had also been poured out on the nations. So they're just absolutely beside themselves when they see this. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and magnifying God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone prevent these who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we also received him, from entering into the water to be baptized? And he commanded them. Would you say commanded them? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain with them for a while, which shouldn't be overlooked. Here's this. He shouldn't even be in this Jewish house, according to traditional Jewish thinking. And they say, man, would you stay? And he's just said, I call no man unclean. Now he gets to live it out. It was kind of like, okay, I'll stay. God shows up. The power falls. And I, I'm going to run you through this. You, you need to see this. Why, why he did this. He, had to, he commanded them to be baptized. And when Peter went up to Jerusalem, those from the circumcision, the ones loyal to circumcision, judged him, saying, you went inside the homes of men who are not circumcised and you ate with them? Peter's defense was to carefully retell everything that happened in order to let them see that God had made his will known in the matter. Starting with his vision on Simon's rooftop, he rehearsed the entire sequence of events. He retold his vision, the arrival of the messengers from Cornelius, the Spirit's command to accompany them to Caesarea, and Cornelius' encounter with the angel. In this retelling of the event, he is more specific about what the angel said to Cornelius. We discovered that the angel told Cornelius that Peter would bring words by which you may be saved, you and all your household. Do you see that? Say that, you and all your household. Again, Peter emphasized that he could not be held responsible for what had happened. God had stepped in and performed a miracle. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as also upon us in the beginning. What's the beginning? Pentecost, yeah? He's saying they got the same thing we got. The same gift was given at Pentecost as had been given, was, had been given to these Romans. And I remember the Lord's statement how he used to say, John indeed baptized into water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter's not just remembering that going, okay, that's what you call this thing. It's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's not what's going on there. This is a critical moment. No Gentiles had been admitted to the church. I'm going to say something about Samaritans and all in a minute. And suddenly you've got a whole room full. I mean, who knows how many in this thing are there. And they're all baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying. The power is just electric in the room. And Peter's got the six observant Jews watching all this. They're shocked, not, not at all happy. And Peter, the apostle, says, I remember Jesus said that you will be, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if these guys are baptized with the Holy Spirit, then they have to have had the heart work to be baptized in water. 
and I don't care what you think, and I don't care where we go, who did he have to command? Not the Romans to be baptized. They're all going, yeah, what? you know, they're all going, you know, so you just lead them to the water. They're easy. He's talking to those six. Baptize them. I'll tell you why in a minute. Verse 17, Peter explained why he had ordered them to be baptized in water. Therefore, if God gave them the same and equal gift to us, having believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to be able to hinder God? And hearing these things, they became silent and glorified God, saying, then God also gave to them, the nations, pardon me, the what? Repentance that leads to life. What happened? God visibly indwelt unclean Gentiles. So Peter baptized them. Here's who got upset. Observant Jewish believers who didn't want to choose between the traditional interpretation of the law of Moses and Jesus. Apparently, the group was largely made up of Pharisees who had come to believe in Jesus. That's said later. I didn't make that up. But had no intention of adjusting their observant lifestyle to include Gentile believers. The issue would not go away and would be addressed several years later at the Jerusalem Council. That debate centered around the question, what must Gentiles do so Jewish believers can be in the same room with them? I, I, do you, this is hard to get a hold of, isn't it, a little bit? Unless you start bringing it into some of our issues. Who would you be willing to sit next to in church? You know? But that's, that's the issue for them. If you really are brought up to think that if I touch a dirty Gentile because they're unclean, I'm contaminated, I have to go home, I have to bathe, and I am unclean till evening because I touched you. I can't eat your food, and I can't handle the way you live. And now I got to what? Sit next to you in church? This is the issue. This is what's going on. This is why they're upset. Peter's reply, then and now, was to point to the fact that by baptizing Cornelius' household in the Holy Spirit, God proved that he considered these Gentiles clean. For the Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside someone means they are holy. The Holy Spirit never takes up residence in an unclean temple. Can you say amen to that? Here's what God said. By baptizing Gentiles in the Holy Spirit, God proved, number one, that he looks at the heart, not the observance of the law of Moses, to determine who he, who he accepts and does not accept. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Number two, those who repent and believe are clean, and therefore no one should consider them unclean. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift God gives to people after they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here, but that's the truth. And that is what it says, and I'll show you in a second. When you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, God makes you clean. You become spiritually clean, but you have to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is given to you, but it's not automatic. You must open up and receive it, and I'll talk more about it. I'll tell you, tell you about that in, in a little bit. And it literally says here, he gave it to them after. After believing, 
God gave them this gift. And that's the word that uh, Luke uses. Here's my translation. If therefore God gave them the same gift as to us. And then it puts it in a tense, which absolutely means having believed at a point in the past upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to be able to hinder God? Number four, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an indisputable proof that a person has repented. Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also, what? The repentance that leads to life. Here's why they got upset. They knew Peter was no liar. And there were six observant Jews from Joppa standing there confirming everything he said. So for the moment, they were forced to acknowledge that God had made his will known. But the root of the issue was far too deep to even, pardon me, to ever go away entirely. It's still around, people. It had to do with their Jewish identity and their loyalty to Scripture. If they gave in and started fellowshipping with Gentiles, their family and friends would consider them disloyal and unclean and would withdraw from them. And the commands concerning cleanness and being separate from Gentiles were still there. To disobey these statutes, uh, they felt like they were abandoning Judaism and converting to another religion. So it's no surprise that this was a heart-wrenching issue for many and still is. By opening the door to Gentiles, Peter had forced this group to choose. They could no longer walk down two paths at the same time. If they acknowledge that, the right, that righteousness comes when a person's heart is right before God, then the observant Jewish community would be closed to them. And if they didn't acknowledge this, and Gentiles started showing up in church gatherings, they'd be denying their trust in Jesus' cross by refusing to touch one or eat food they served. In their minds, they were being forced to choose between Moses and Jesus. By baptizing Gentiles, Peter had set a precedent. And if this action were allowed to stand, it would only be a matter of time before Gentiles showed up in their gatherings too. Yes, Samaritans had come to Christ earlier, but the Samaritans had kept to themselves in Samaria. But Gentiles, particularly Romans, were everywhere. Sooner or later, they would show up in a seat next to you. No wonder Jesus had warned his followers. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The issue, do you see it? Is, is a person clean? What makes a person clean? What is it? This comes right down to the heart of the gospel. Legalism. The desire to do religious things. I mean, we bring our own, we bring Christians, we do the same thing in the church, don't we? We, we decide, have I, have I done this? Have I done this? Have I done this? And you don't do this. And people make all kinds of religious systems. There is so much nonsense that goes on. So many people who go on the internet and get into some really foolish thing and start feeling like they're superior to everybody else because they do some silly little thing regularly, and we don't. What makes you clean? What does God look for to call a person clean? They didn't get it. That's why I'm taking the time to let you see that. They didn't get it. it this is, the reason there's so much of that in the book of Acts is this became a, a problem that lingered 
And it stayed. In fact, it's still around. And so Luke took the time to really spell it out so that we could see it and get it. If, if their observant family and friends discovered they were socializing with Gentiles, their relationships network would be destroyed. Peter had forced them to choose and neither path was an easy one. To accept Gentiles meant they must stop trusting the righteousness of the law and endure condemnation and ostracism. To reject Gentiles meant they were denying that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient and were saying only that Jews, saying only Jews could be saved, excluding most of the human race. It is awkward. The truth is, the choice they felt they were being forced to make was a false one. God has never made anyone choose between Moses or Jesus, between his holiness or his gra- and his grace. The two do not disagree. The Torah, which Moses wrote, is full of grace, which is expressed through confession, repentance, and substitutionary sacrifice. When someone comes along and tells you the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is grace, just know they simply don't know what they're talking about. Either they've not read it or they're not bright enough to follow through with what they read. I don't know. Whole denominations believe that, and I, I don't know how you explain that. What do you think that was when you took an animal and you put your hands on the thing and you confessed your sins and your sins were imparted to this poor lamb and then you cut its throat and sacrificed it before God? What was happening? You were transferring your sin onto this poor beast and it had to die for you. It had to take your punishment. It was symbolically showing what you deserved. But that God would mercifully forgive you by allowing your sin to go on something else. That was being taught from from Seth on. And certainly it's all through. the, the, The old covenant is full of grace. It is constantly. Blood was shed and poured out on the altar to show that God has transferred their sin to another and had mercifully forgiven them. No one in Israel ever thought they thought was thought to be perfect. They knew they all sinned regularly from the high priest on down. And that's why God had given them an elaborate system of sacrifice to constantly proclaim his mercy. And the ritual laws were never meant to be ladders to heaven. They were meant to teach God's people how to live in such a way that God's spirit could dwell among them. The Torah was given so God could teach his people as a father teaches a child. In order to follow Christ, these Jewish believers would have to change their understanding of the ceremonial portions of the Torah. As believers, they would, of course, still be free to observe these ceremonies and feasts, but only as acts of worship not as prerequisites for acceptance with God. Did you understand? There's quite a move right now where people are, 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 are sort of moving into to, to, to Judaism and moving into all of the, the fe- festivals and the observance. There's nothing wrong with being messianic. There's nothing wrong with observing the festivals. There's nothing wrong with keeping Sabbath. There's nothing wrong with having the Passover. There's nothing, it's all beautiful. But why you do it makes a world of difference. And it is, I will say, most, for a lot of people, it's very hard to guard their heart 
where, the, where it's one thing to do it as an act of worship, knowing I'm not earning anything. It's just a beautiful way of expressing my heart to God, of telling him I love him, of honoring him in various ways, and crossing that line where it becomes something I have earned, something that somehow I have to do. And so when people get into it, they tend to slide on a slope. They tend to get in more and more. Well, I didn't keep Sabbath today, and I didn't do this today, and I didn't do that today. I just want to say, if you're going there, don't do it. Don't do it. Be careful. Enjoy things. You can dance. You can do all of that. But you do not cross the line and begin to earn something. Don't we do that with Bible reading? Don't we do that with tithing? Don't we do that with church going? Don't we decide that God will bless me this week because I went to church a lot and I put up with Shell's long sermons uh, or whatever, you know? You owe me one, man. I sat through the whole thing. <laughs> do you see the type? You can't even read it. Yeah. <laughs> we build these systems, but you just have to be careful that you don't allow that to go there. There's something in fallen human nature that wants to earn God's approval rather, rather than acknowledge we are completely dependent on his mercy. So we tend to select certain rules we think we can keep or reinterpret those we can't and then focus our efforts on keeping them. Our hope is that if we keep these particular rules, God will accept us. And of course, we assume that everyone who does not keep our special list of rules is not accepted by God. In doing this, we fall into a trap of trying to earn our own righteousness. And this becomes a terrible form of slavery. As hard as we try, we never really achieve perfection, which leaves us depressed and critical toward others. This same process goes on in Christianity as well. People become self-righteous, proud, and critical of others. They want to withdraw from sinners and fellowship only with clean people. That's why we need to deeply understand the lesson God was trying to teach us in Cornelius' household. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is God's announcement that a human being is clean. It is one thing to confess by faith that we are clean, but it is another for God to prove that we are clean by sending his Holy Spirit to take up residence inside us. Did you follow this? Listen, I realize that there's a whole lot of people who have been afraid of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I realize that there's foolishness and I realize that there's nonsense, but listen to me. You, when you go to the Bible, this is there. You say, well, when I receive Jesus, don't I receive the Spirit? Yes, you receive the gift, but there is a, there, it, 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 in that it's given to you. But it is not the same thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an encounter with the power of God you know you have. It's where he really comes. And what difference does it make? It makes all the difference in the world. And I want to suggest to you that today's America, we need it more than ever. People are being so dehumanized. We're all being turned into numbers and digits. We're all being turned into consumers. The, the, the sense of dignity, the sense of value is being so washed away. What does it say when God comes and he touches you and his sweetness comes upon you and the power of God fills you and you know it? It transforms your thinking. It transforms your self-understanding. It transforms who you are. You know my own story. I tell it too much. But just, just let me just put it this simple perspective. Here I am, 12 years old, 
my mo- we don't know the Lord. My mother's depressed. We've, my, my parents have been divorced since I'm two. I have terrible grades. I don't care. My mom mutters about it once in a while, but what she doesn't care either. I mean, because she's just trying to survive. Into this loneliness. The only family I had died that loved me. And I'm alone. I don't care. Nobody cares. I'm just trying to make it through life. And I get, my mom gets invited to this prayer meeting of, of they were charismatic Episcopalians. Yes, friends, it happens. And they are wild when they get it. They really are a great group. And so I'm, I'm sitting in this room. I don't even know why we're here. I just had to come because she, she's very strong. This, you don't tell her no, man. Not live to tell about it. And, and so I'm there. Sitting there, all right? And then they start talking about God, and, and this lady starts talking another language, and I'm thinking, hey, they're bilingual. <laughs> what, are they, what are they all talking? You know, where are they from? And then this guy starts talking in English, and I, th- I think, what is God? And then I had my moment, I think, and I, I simply said, then I want to hear what he's got to say. And it wasn't with curiosity or amusement. If that was God, the first thing I said was, so there is one. So there is one. And then I thought, well, I'm sure going to listen to what he has to say. Not with an arrogant heart, but with a humble heart. Then I don't know what happened because I came too later. <laughs> the, and my tongue is moving by itself. I feel like electricity or something just shooting through me. I'm, I'm just, it's just like, oh my goodness. I'm trying, trying to get a hold of myself. To put this short, I, I, I went through that for weeks. In fact, it was so dramatic and so really difficult. I sat up in my sleep on occasion and spoke in tongues. I'm terrified. My mom finally comes to me and she says, look, if this is God, why don't you ask him to take it away? My mother is not spiritually the brightest bulb on the porch. And... <laughs> Certainly then. And uh, that's, that's an awful thing to have said. But she, she meant, well, you're miserable. Why don't you ask him to leave? And that, I went into my room and I closed the door. And, and let me tell you what, where it was. I thought to myself, ask him to take it away. Ask him to take it away. And then I looked in inside and I thought, this is the first time in my life that I've ever had... I've ever felt loved and felt valued. He's come to me. Why would I ask him to go? And then I just, so I simply said, God, I don't want you to leave me. But I said, but I don't want to speak in tongues. Now I knew what it was called. I was scared. And then I coughed out my submission yet. And that pressure left me. My grades changed. My life changed. My world changed. I suddenly had someone who loved me. Do we need that? It, listen, I had not prayed the sinner's prayer. I didn't know it to pray it. I told that to one person. I said, well, maybe you're not saved. <laughs> Which, scary, huh? <laughs> you're following me. I, I, a year later, I did pray the sinner's prayer. If that makes anybody feel better, I was at a, 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 I was at a boys' brigade camp. And somebody said, you saved? I said, I must be. What's saved? 
And, and he said, well, you got to, and he read me through it. And I was happy to pray that. You betcha. Hallelujah. I, I, what had happened is, 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 is God looks at the heart. See, you, you notice Cornelius, nobody prayed any prayers. They didn't pray the sinner's prayer. They didn't even raise their hand. Can you get saved without raising your hand? They, they didn't do any of that. But their, their hearts, as they listen, just opened enough. That's all God needs, man. He just needs something that's, he just needs a touch, a mustard seed of real repentance, uh, which is simply surrender. Surrender to God. And in that little boy, that 12-year-old boy, I just, I went, if that's God, you know, I'm not, you know, I bowed my knee and bang, hit me like, like that, changed my life. It was his coming. It was his entering. It was, his, it was him. It was not doctrine. I didn't have to talk myself into something. Nobody even talked to me. I didn't have anybody teach me for years. <laughs> How did I survive? But did I know I was loved? Was he there? Oh, yeah. He was in my life. That's why I'm doing this. What am I thinking? I could be barbecuing today. I don't have to be here talking to you. Why would I do this? Because that boy met somebody and he came inside and he's still with me. I'm just as bad as I ever was. Maybe worse. You need that. Many of us are afraid of, of, of the baptism of the Spirit. Some of us are afraid of speaking in tongues. I had a lady, and I'll tell you a story now. This one's less than a week old. I had a lady, and I'll, she came to me at, after a service, and she said, would you pray for me? She says, I'm dealing with so much depression. She said, it's virtually moment by moment. I, I just, I just, I'm just making it through my days. And she says, I, you know, I, I'm praying, I'm doing that. But she said, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not winning the battle. And I, I said to her, are you baptized in the Spirit? She said, I think so. And I said, do you speak in tongues? She says, no. She said, I've tried. She said, I, but, I, but, but I just don't think that gift is my gift. I don't think that's for me. I said, it is. <laughs> and I said, listen to me. I know depression. And I'll tell you one of the tools I don't know how I'd live without is a prayer language. You need it. And I said, well, how are we going to get that to you? And I began to talk with her. And finally I said, you, you got, you got a, a few minutes? You got a little time? Come on. And we went into the prayer room and I had another pastor with me. She began to tell me a bit about her, her life and it was very painful. She had every reason to be depressed. In fact, she had every reason to that she, that, you know, talk about damage. And I said, now I want to pray for you. And, and she, then, then comes up, here comes up the heart. Two things really. One is she said, you know, I was taught when I went, grew up that these things are not for today. You know, I'm going to tell you something. I do not run into people with much doctrine or solid biblical teaching when they're church years. But the one thing that they have taught <laughs> beautifully is that these things are not for today. For heaven's sakes. They didn't teach you the gospel message necessarily, but you do know these things are not for today. So anyway, I said, well, they are. And uh, 
and, and, and then she said, and, and I got to say one more thing. She says, you know, I listen to some of these people speak in tongues, and some of them just sort of repeat simple phrases. And I said, it's true. Um, they do. And I said, it doesn't mean it's invalid. It just means they don't have a free, free release in their language. I said, if I were to do this in English, and I just said, praise, 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 I wouldn't be false, but it would not be all that I could have said. And I said, are you willing to just step out? Are you willing? Because you have the Holy Spirit. She said, I know I have the Holy Spirit. I said, I know you have the Holy Spirit too. Absolutely. But you need to receive the gift. You need to let him come. I don't know what exactly happens, people, but it's something powerful and real. So, she, so finally she, she said, all right. And I said, now, I just want you to step out and speak something. Just let something come out of your lips. And, and I'll be praying. And I'm not laughing at you. I'm not evaluating you. Just what, get, let God do it. So she just starts, Kita, Sadama, like that. And then the power's really there. And she starts repeating this simple phrase. <laughs> just exactly what she dreaded. Doesn't God do that? How thirsty are you? How hungry are you? He does somehow know how to go right after us at our point of pride. You know, and I'm not judging her like that. I, you have no idea what I struggled with. But so, so, so she start. but when she'd say, it was a very beautiful phrase, a very simple, beautiful phrase. And as she starts praying like this, the power came so strong. I mean, her face is just wet with tears. She's sobbing and heaving. I mean, by heaving, I mean, just breathe. And, and the power is all over her. And we're praying. I don't know how long we're, we're doing this. Finally, she says, Pastor, I can't take anymore. She says, I just, I can't take anymore of this. You know, <gasps> you know I think she was going to probably hit the floor if we didn't anymore. I said, so do you know he's there? <laughs> and I'm not trying to be cute. Does she know he's in her life? Does she know he loves her? Does she know she's clean? Do you see it? How much do we need to know? We're clean. And this Holy Spirit has, is not just, I don't have a theology that I know that he has to accept me because he died and poured out his blood. I actually have him come and dwell inside of me. He comes all over me. As a young boy, you didn't, I, I just knew he loved me. You could argue he didn't, but I just knew he did. How come he's hanging around if he doesn't like me? It was no more profound than that. Or it, was that, it is that profound. You say I'm experience-based? Show me anybody in the Bible. I mean anybody who had any kind of relationship with God who didn't have an experience of him. This business of not having any experience, not encountering any of the reality of God is ridiculous. As that 12-year-old boy said, oh, so there is one. If he's real, he'll do something. If he's real, he'll show up. Or we have a silly game we're playing here. It's one or the other. And I'm telling you, he will show up. If you've got the guts, we'll pray for you. And when the power hits you, you're going to go out of there and you're going to go, oh, I can't take any more. And you're going to know that you know that you know that you know he loves you and he's dwelling inside you. This is for you. I just want to encourage you. If you've been afraid of it, 
Please let's stop that. It is not psychosomatic or some kind of psychological nonsense. It is not. It's the spirit. And you'll know it's real. You won't know what you say, but you'll know it's real. If you can't get rid of the feelings of sinfulness, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you have no power over depression or temptation, you put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. What I wanted this woman to have is when that depression wants to come and that, that stuff there, I want her to be able to break into the Spirit and speak in tongues. That's what I wanted for her because it, it works for me. If, if you feel helpless to pray for someone in need, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you never hear God speak to you, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can't get him to stop. People who say, I've never heard God speak to me. I'm going, how did you get him not to? I mean, for heaven's sake, all you have to do, baptize the Holy Spirit and the radio goes on. He'll talk to you. Believe me, he'll talk to you. He's there. Would you stand with me? Let me ask two things. Number one, anyone today, as you listen to this message of what Peter just preached, that we need to repent, which means surrender to God, that maybe you've prayed the prayer. I'm worried that some people have raised their hands and prayed prayers about repentance and surrendering to God, but the truth is the heart never really did. It isn't what you say. There's a reality in the core of your heart that finally bows its knee to Jesus Christ. Really does. So when he says, you stay loyal to your wife, to your husband, you turn that garbage off and you don't follow it and you don't let that in, your knee has really bowed and you really will do it. And if you can't, you'll get some help. You'll struggle, whatever it takes, you're going to walk with it. Has your knee actually bowed to Jesus Christ? And I just want to ask today, anyone need to say, with, with all I am and all I know, I surrender to Jesus Christ. I give him the right to be my Lord. I give him the right to clean me, change me, set the rules for my life, make me do hard things, Use my life for his glory and not my own. I surrender to Jesus Christ. Anyone need to say that right now and let him see your heart? Just raise your hand if that's you. Father God, I see these hands. Thank you, Lord. Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. Blessed be the Lord. Thank you, Father. Now, one more question and I'm going to pray. Anyone else... You need to say, Jesus Christ, I really believe in you. You're not one of the many gods, and you're not sort of uh, the Savior. I put my entire hope in you. I thought about this today even. I'm putting my very soul in his hands. I'm trusting my eternity to Jesus. If he's wrong, I'm toast. But I'm in this thing. He's my Savior. He died on the cross for my sins. And I will trust him and cling to his cross to the last breath in my body. Anyone need to say, I I make that commitment today. And God will see my heart and know I mean every bit of it. Would you raise your hand? Yes. 
Yes, 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 yes. Many hands. Praise you, Jesus. All right, now, church, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we call you Father. We thank you for sending your Son. And we confess him. Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. I bow my knee, put my hand in yours, choose to follow you, to surrender to you all the days of my life. Jesus Christ, you died on the cross. You were my lamb. You, uh, my sin was put on you, and you have carried it away from me, never to come back. Because of you, I'm clean. I'm a suitable temple for the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're prepared to do this, would you put your hand on your heart and say this with me? Holy Spirit, I am clean. Totally clean. No matter what I do, my faith in Jesus Christ makes me a clean temple. I welcome you. Come in. Dwell in me. Baptize me. Release your gifts. Open my spiritual eyes. Open my spiritual ears. Give me a mouth that speaks your word. Prophetically, the gospel. Anoint me. Anoint my hands, my feet. Use me. Come and never leave me. For all eternity, I need you. I love you. I welcome you into my very being. In Jesus' powerful name, I pray this. And he knows my heart. I mean every word. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.